Welcome to a podcast from the Haven Church, Stapleford, Nottingham. Uh, I'm going to be sharing this morning just a little bit about the whole thought of Advent and uh, and how all of that works and what it's all about. Um, Advent means uh, Advent is all about the imminent arrival of something or someone that has been long awaited. So Advent is that point where um, the fulfilment of the desire, the fulfilment of the calling out of our hearts uh, to God, finds its fulfilment. It's when the answer comes. It's it's the uh, it's that kind of wonderful moment when you realize that this long-awaited, this long-prophesied event is happening uh, right in front of you, and everything is going to change. I was trying to think of a, a, of a good example of how that might work for us in other circumstances. And you know, this is, forgive me for this, I, I just remembered this um, uh, event from when I was, when I was very young, um, uh, very young, I, I was probably... Um, just about getting into my teens, I guess, at this, at this point. And um, we weren't a particularly uh, wealthy family when I was growing up. And I remember we were just we were hitting the summer holidays. And uh, the, only thing, uh, the only shoes that I'd got to wear were my pumps, my gym shoes. And they were pretty worn out because I'd had them a year. And my feet had grown and they were a bit tight. But it was either that or kind of the only other pair of shoes I've, I'd got was this pair of black school shoes that you wore for class and everything. So it's the summer and I'm wearing these pumps. And um, two or three doors down from us on our street was the local co-op. And I remember going to the co-op to, um, to, to uh, get something for my mum. And in the co-op, uh, they had this little, it's a small section where they had kind of household bits and pieces. And I spotted this pair of shoes. Now, this, this was the most ridiculous pair of shoes you've probably ever heard of in your life because they were kind of a lout, light brown a corduroy shoe with a with a plastic um, sole, and um, they they were probably as as cheap as it gets, and they're, and they're the most ridiculous pair of shoes you would ever seen. But I saw them, and I just thought, wow. I would really love a pair of those. I would really love to spend my summer wearing this pair of brown corduroy shoes. And, uh, and I went away and, um, you know, I, I, every morning when I'm getting up, I'm putting on these, these gym shoes and, and uh, thinking, oh, man, I just, I so wish I had uh, this pair of corduroy shoes. And then uh, a few days later, I woke up and as if by magic, this pair of corduroy shoes had appeared on the, on the uh, chair next to my bed. And uh, my mom, I, I don't even know how she knew. My mom had somehow known that I really wanted these shoes and I, and I really was looking for something a bit better to spend the summer in. And she'd gone out and um, uh, they weren't very expensive, but it still would have been a bit of a sacrifice somewhere down the line for my mom. She went out and she'd bought these shoes for me and she'd brought them in and this uh, wonderful surprise was sitting there on the chair next to my bed. And I put these shoes on. I want to tell you, they were absolutely great. I wore them the whole summer. Everybody took the rip out of me. All of my mates took the rip out of me, you know, because these shoes look more like slippers than shoes. They were actually shoes, but they, they look more like slippers. And all of my mates, my nickname that summer 
was slippers. Everybody was calling me slippers and taking the rip out of these shoes. But I didn't care because I'd really wanted these shoes and, and, and they were much better than the old gym shoes. I'd really wanted these shoes. And uh, my mom, knowing what I wanted, knowing what I needed in that sense, uh, went out of her way to make sure that I got these shoes and that uh, I, I had a little bit better summer because I had them to enjoy. And that was a kind of an advent that there would be a, there had been a longing in me. There had been a desire in me just to have these shoes, to have something better to put on my feet. And, uh, and that day when I opened my eyes and saw the shoes there, that was, like, uh, that was an advent. That was something that I'd been waiting for, something I'd been longing for, and finding the realization of it that made life better for me, made life different. And it might sound a bit like uh, an odd example there, but that whole thing about waiting and wanting and looking for something uh, kind of is the, is the point of advent, that it's that, that longing, that that waiting finds its fulfillment. Of course, uh, in Israel, they had waited over 700 years for Messiah to come since Isaiah started prophesying about uh, the Messiah. It was a long time, a long time filled with all sorts of ups and downs and, and, and pain and uh, uh, struggles for, for uh, the, the Jewish nation. And um, they, they had been waiting and longing for this Messiah. I mean, in, in those 700 years, uh, they had been um, you know, overtaken by other uh, governments, other, other countries, other nations. Um, they'd had Alexander the Great strolling through and doing everything that he did in his uh, conquering of the world. Um, they were uh, at the point that Jesus comes. They were suffering the, the uh, occupation of the Roman army and were under the governance of the Roman Empire. And for over 700 years, they'd been longing for the fulfillment of the things that Isaiah had said. For over 700 years, they'd been looking for this Messiah, this Savior to come and to save them and to help them. And they knew that when he did come, that life would change forever. And as I prayed there, I, I prayed some of those verses out of Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about Jesus not, not, being, um, uh, not being at all egotistical, not wanting to hang on to his uh, status in heaven, setting it aside and coming in the fulfillment of those promises that we read in, uh, that we read in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 is the one I want to pick up on first, where Isaiah writes just in this one verse that changes everything. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Lord is going to give us a sign. The Lord is going to do something so that we can see and hear and understand something about him. And, and what is that sign going to be? What is the message of the sign? The message is that God is with us. The message, the sign is that God is going to do something. God is going to send somebody, okay, who is going to uh, make the difference in all of our lives. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And I want to tell you uh, um, that we as a church, we we believe in the virgin birth. I know there's been all sorts of discussions about this and all sorts of theological arguments about it, but I want to tell you this morning, we believe in the virgin birth, and the virgin birth is important because, uh, because it was a virgin birth, because uh, there was no uh, man involved in that, we know that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus comes from God and is the Son of God, and that's really important uh, uh, for all sorts of reasons, which we haven't got the time to get into now, but we believe in that virgin birth. And, and Isaiah tells us, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That name, Emmanuel, there's the message that Emmanuel means God with us. 
God with us. In other words, that that Jesus will come, that he will set aside the glory of heaven and that he will come down, the son of the living God, to be our friend, to be our saviour and to lead us back to that place to re- to, of, of restoration, to have our relationship with the Father restored. That's why he comes. What does it mean to have God with us? You know, this is really important. This is so important that we understand this, that when Matthew in his gospel, right at the beginning of his gospel, when he quotes Isaiah, he actually takes the time in his gospel to tell us what Emmanuel means, just in case you miss the point, just in case you don't understand this name, just in case you don't understand the Hebrew. Matthew takes the time and he says that, that uh, he quotes this about the, the child being called Emmanuel and he puts there, which means God with us, because we need to understand this is not just a random name, this is not just a random person, this is not just a random event, but this is the central point of history. This is the central focus of what God is going to do in this fallen and and difficult world to redeem us and to bring us back to the place where we need to be. And for over 700 years, the Jewish nation had waited for this. And you might, for yourself, you might have sensed a longing in your heart. I know that before I became a Christian, I knew something was missing. I knew that there was something that was not quite right. There was a longing in me for something different. There was a longing in me for something better. And the the philosopher Pascal said this. He said that every man has a God-shaped hollow. Uh, And that was what I was experiencing. There was a hollow in my life that was God-shaped. And it was only when I found Jesus that that hollow was filled. It was only when I found him and entered into a relationship with him that those desires and those longings within me were fulfilled. And this is what exactly what Isaiah is talking about. This is exactly what Matthew in his gospel was talking about. That the answer to our longings, that the answer to that hollow in our lives, that the answer to all of those yearnings and and the things that we're crying out for from the deeper, uh, you know, innermost parts of who we are, that that cry of our heart, the, the solution to that, the answer to that is found in this advent with the arrival of Jesus with the arrival of the one whose birth uh, changes everything, whose birth uh, splits history. We now enter into a new age. The the biblical scholars tell us that with the arrival of Jesus, with the incarnation, that we now enter into the end phase of history because we've had all of these problems, we've had all of these struggles, we've got all of this history behind us that has made life difficult and that has separated us from the living God. But now with the arrival of Jesus, with the incarnation, we enter into a a new age, an age of relationship with God, an age where it is possible to have our sins forgiven, an age where it is possible to, to have a hope and, and that, that um, conviction of a, a future with him. It's all brought about by the arrival of Jesus and we now live 2,000 years later in the flow of that. We're still in this, um, this last age. We're still in these end times and we await his second coming and there is a yearning in us still. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is a yearning in us still to see him come again, to see that that second coming, to, to see, as Paul describes it, to see the clouds part, to hear the trumpet sound in heaven, and to see him arrive in all his glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and while we wait for this, while we go through this period, we have the joy of knowing God with us. We have the joy of Emmanuel, the, the 
answer to our heart's desire. We have the joy of him being with us, walking with us day by day, giving us direction, uh, bringing us to the Father, seeing that relationship restored because of that knowing peace, because of our sins being forgiven, knowing peace, and our lives being just so much better, so much more fruitful, so much richer because of that relationship with him. Advent is good news. <laughs> I hope you've picked that up. So a couple of chapters further on. Isaiah chapter 9 and at verse 6, Isaiah says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The enthusiasm and the purpose and the wisdom of God is all caught up in this event when Jesus comes, when Jesus is born into this world. Uh, everything is all caught up in this. And Isaiah wants us to see and to understand that what is going on here. He says to us, in other words, to you and to me. Uh, so listen, if you're, if you're watching this online this morning and you, and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that the coming of Jesus is for you. That Isaiah says to us, and he, when he says us, he means everybody. He means we are all included in this. That Jesus, the Son of the living God, comes for you. He comes because he loves you. He comes because he wants to know you. He comes because he wants to change your life. He comes because he's going to pay the price of your sin so that you can be restored in your relationship with your Father in heaven and experience that love firsthand and hear his voice and know the touch of his hand on your life and know his guidance and, and his strength and his wisdom and, and enjoy the fruitfulness that he wants to put into you. To us, us sinners, uh, we receive this gift of divine grace, a child, a son. And this is not just any son, this is a divine son. This is the divine son, the Lord and master, the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And whilst um, uh, whilst Isaiah is speaking prophetically here, because this is 700 years before the birth of Christ, he sees clearly that this is a divine moment, that this is the point that God enters into flesh and comes into the world. He sees and has an expectation that this son will come and change everything for us. Of course he's talking about Jesus. He can't possibly be talking about anybody else. He can't be talking about earthly kings because of the way that he describes him. This is a divine moment. This is the son of the living God uh, incarnate amongst us. He describes him as wonderful counselor. He's the one who comes to rule in wisdom. He's the one who, you know, in those moments when we're not quite sure what we should be doing or how we should be doing it or even why we're doing it and we need some wisdom, he's the one who brings that wisdom wisdom. He is the one who speaks wisdom into our lives and in his wisdom guides us and directs us in, in the right path that will be fruitful for us and fulfilling for us, maybe difficult for us, but it will be good for us and benefit us in all sorts of ways. His wisdom is way beyond human wisdom. His ability to help us and to guide us is way beyond anything that another man 
could do. He is in fact described by Isaiah as mighty God. This Jesus is God himself. And whilst he becomes a man, he doesn't stop being God. And this is one of the kind of the conundrums for us in the incarnation. That whilst Jesus is God and remains God and is fully God, he also becomes fully man. So in two Philippians there, in Philippians 2 I should say, um, where it talks about him setting aside the glory of heaven. What is happening there? Jesus um, uh, puts aside, if you like, the power and the glory of being God in order that he can be contained in the framework of a man. And he doesn't stop being God because you can't really stop being God. Okay, that doesn't work at any level. Um, He doesn't stop being God, but he enters into the framework of humanity. And in that humanity, he walks the earth and does all the wonderful things that we read about in the Gospels. And as a sinless human being is the appropriate sacrifice for our sins, is the only sacrifice for our sins. And thank God that he didn't um, draw back from that. Thank God that he went all the way on that journey because he's the only one who could pay the price of our sin. And he He does so willingly for us. He goes through that pain for us. But he is almighty God. He doesn't stop being God because he becomes human. He is described by Isaiah as the everlasting father. Now this can get a bit confusing for us because we have as Christians uh, what we describe as a Trinitarian faith. We believe in Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. Now when Isaiah says this, He's not describing Jesus as the Father in the Trinity, so don't be confused by that. When he says this, he calls Jesus um, everlasting Father. What he's doing is he's referring to the fathering role that a king would play, that an earthly king would play. um, One of my commentaries describes it as a benevolent protector. So the phrase here uh, that that Isaiah is using, everlasting father, doesn't mean that he's kind of replacing father God in heaven, but actually sees him as a a father for us in terms of his reign and his protection for us and him doing good things for us to help us. He is the everlasting father. And everlasting, of course, means that goes on forever. That all of the great things that we appreciate about Jesus, all of the good things that he sows into our lives, all of the things that he promises us are, are... flowing out into eternity. They last forever. There is no end to his goodness, to his love, to his mercy, to his faithfulness, to his grace. There is no end to those things. They flow right into eternity and we will live in the good of that forever. He is the everlasting father. Isaiah describes him as the prince of peace. His reign and his authority will bring about peace in our lives. His sacrifice will bring about peace in our lives. I remember the day, seem to be talking a lot about my mother this morning, I remember the day that my mother gave her life to Jesus. I remember it really well. We'd been to see a really dodgy movie about the second coming and it was a dodgy movie. I mean, theologically it was awful. But it, but it kind of shook my mum a little bit because she wasn't quite sure about faith and she, didn't, she had no kind of assurance of what was going to happen when she died. And, and I remember after the movie, we're sitting at home in our back kitchen having a cup of tea and uh, my mum said to me, uh, she asked me the question, she said, how can I know that I'm going to get to heaven? Well, I've got the answer to that. The answer is Jesus. That our relationship with Jesus is what gets us into heaven. That having him in our lives, having him as our saviour is what gets us into heaven. So I shared the gospel with her. And she prayed and she gave her life to Jesus. And after she'd finished praying, she sat there and she gave a great big sigh of relief. And she said, I feel like the weight of the world has just rolled off my shoulders. 
That's exactly what she said. Because the peace of God had taken root in her heart. And that's what the Prince of Peace does for us. You know, many of us in these COVID times have had to go through difficult circumstances. Life has not been easy. For many of us, we will have lost loved ones. For many of us, We'll have lost loved ones and we've not been able to grieve properly, to mourn properly because of all the restrictions with funerals and everything else. And life has been difficult. And it's been hard to find peace. It's been hard to find any kind of rest. And I want you to know this morning that there is a God in heaven who loves you and that there is a Savior whose name is Jesus, who the Bible calls the Prince of Peace. And if you need that peace in your life, if you need that sense of rest and well-being in your life, the only place you're really going to get that for eternity is in Jesus and in relationship with him. And Isaiah singles him out as the Prince of Peace. Uh, this God, this Jesus, uh, this man who comes to save us, there is nobody else like him. There is nobody else who can do this for him, uh, for us. And so, as we find ourselves in this Advent season, as we... Um, take on board all those thoughts about this Jesus who is coming, this one who is coming into the world to change everything. What do we do about that? Well, the Advent season, of course, has with it a, a sense of waiting, uh, waiting for that moment, knowing that that moment is going to come. It carries with it a sense of the, the challenge to prepare ourselves, the challenge to make ourselves ready, the challenge to prepare our hearts and our spirits to receive him. And you might be sitting there, you know, you've known Jesus for a lot of years, and you might be saying, well, I already received him. I can remember uh, when I received him February the 2nd, 1974. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, but there is a sense in which I need to keep receiving him and keep um, working at that relationship and, and keep making a home for him in my heart. And in this Advent season, I want to challenge you to that place as well, that this season should be about preparing ourselves to receive afresh this God from heaven, this Lord Jesus who comes to change our lives and change our world. So it's a time of preparation, um, uh, thinking about our hearts, our minds, our spirits, thinking about that journey from darkness into light. And you know, um, it's very easy, even as followers of Jesus, to allow some of the darkness to creep back into our lives. And this Christmas, this Advent season could be a good time for us to actually deal with some of that stuff. And, and uh, as we prepare ourselves for this wonderful earth-changing event, uh, allow uh, the Holy Spirit to draw us deeper into the light and out of the darkness. Preparing ourselves, making the journey. It's a time of preparation. It's also a time of expectation that actually as we prepare ourselves, why are we doing that? We're doing it because we are expecting that God will come and do something. We're expecting that this Jesus will arrive on cue and be everything that we are told that he will be and do everything that we are told that he will do. We are expectant for him to come afresh in our lives this Christmas as we prepare ourselves and as we open our hearts to him. We are expecting that he will come and be who he is and change everything. And of course, as we prepare 
And as we expect, there is that wonderful moment when the realization of all of these th things happens. That event, that moment, that divine moment when Jesus comes and makes all of the difference. And my prayer is that this Christmas, as we prepare ourselves, as we f focus on this uh, arrival of the King, that as we open our hearts afresh to a work of the Holy Spirit to receive him, and, to, and as we, uh, within ourselves, come to that fresh place of desire and following him, and being obedient to him. I pray that you would know his peace. I pray that you would know his presence. And I pray that as we enter into the realization of this arrival, this coming of the King of Kings, that something uh, new would happen in you this Christmas. I want to pray that as we, uh, as we prepare ourselves, as we open our hearts and our minds and get ourselves before God and look forward and celebrate his coming, I want to pray that we would each know something fresh, something new, something different from the living God that would be a life-changing experience for us. You know, the name Emmanuel means God with us. And if God is with us, then we have no reason to be afraid. If God is with us, then we know that we can find healing. We know that we can find deliverance. We know we can find forgiveness. We know we can find freedom. We know we can find peace. Because God, Emmanuel, is with us. Not that he is just kind of, you know, he's there somewhere, but he is here. He is right here with us, helping us, guiding us, shaping us, and uh, being everything that we would want and expect him to be. Everything, fulfilling everything that the scriptures has to say about him. And I hope that this Christmas that will be your experience. I hope as we go through these next um, four weeks of preparing, getting ourselves ready, that there will be a Holy Spirit experience that takes you to a new place of relationship with him. And I pray that as we get to, to Christmas and as we get to the, the, uh, the, the stable and the manger and the arrival of the king, that something would just hit us afresh that would rock our world and open our eyes to see more of the God who loves us, more of the Jesus who wants to be so much involved in our lives. I pray that will be an experience for you as we move into the realization of the advent. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to close uh, with a song. Um, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been great having you with us. And um, please, uh, you know, if you, if you want to be in touch, uh, please leave a comment uh, to that effect. Or, um, you know, the, there's uh, the website, havencenter.co. You can email us, info at havencenter.co. Um, there's phone numbers and stuff on the website. Um, you can get in touch with us in a, in a myriad of different ways, uh, but it would be nice to hear from you. And particularly, you know, if you want us to be praying for you during this Advent season, please let us know because we'd love to do that and we'd love to see God uh, bless you in this time. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to come to a close with a, a song. So Jesus, uh, there is a sense of excitement within us as we think about the coming King. There is an ex a sense of excitement within us as, as we uh, lay ourselves before you and open our hearts and our minds and our spirits. Holy Spirit, will you come and, and enter in today? Will you come and help us to make our hearts into a home fit for the King of Kings? Will you come and uh, change our view, change our world, bring us to that place where we, uh, along with uh, wise men can kneel uh, at the foot of Jesus and say, here is my life, take it all. And as we do that, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just come and, and uh, bring Jesus to us.
I pray that we would know what it really means to be born again, to have a new life. I pray that we would know what it really means to know peace, to have peace. And I pray that we would know what it really means to be on that journey of becoming everything that you created us to be. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. And we pray that you would come and have your will and your way in our lives. And now I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that he would cause his face to shine upon you, that he would draw close to you, that you would know his favor and that you would know his peace in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us.